Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, founder and CEO of Dallas-based consulting firm Louder Co. There's so many great people innovating in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This podcast aims to highlight them, the amazing things they're doing, and get behind the scenes on their approach and on them personally. At my company, Louder Co., we're the innovation specialists business leaders turn to when their organization must perform better. Artificial intelligence, business transformation, and venture building projects are usually very stressful. Not with us. We believe your business will soon begin losing without an AI strategy. We create AI strategies to accelerate operations and create revolutionary new technology products. We do that because we're tired of seeing businesses that keep letting bad operations kill their growth. Through change initiatives like creating innovation hubs, improving processes, and instilling technologies, we transform companies to perform better and grow faster. Our gift to you for listening is access to our free Intro to Artificial Intelligence Guide. We hit on what is AI, where's it going, and how to get it into your business. Get that free guide at louderco.com slash intro to AI. We look forward to serving you. Visit us at louderco.com for more information, insightful content, and ways to schedule our first conversation. Thank you for listening and on to our show. Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovator Show presented by Louderco. I'm Andrew Louder. And I'm really excited about our guest today. She's a fairly new friend of mine. I think we've gotten to know each other here over the last year or so. And um, she's just, every time we meet up, have coffee, I learn something so, uh, just that blows my mind, especially in the, the realm of people. And hopefully you guys will learn a lot from her today as well. I want to welcome Humera Kasim. She is an executive HR consultant and a former chief HR officer over at Jamba Juice. And I got to tell you, she's worked for some really iconic brands throughout her career. And I can't wait for her to talk about her experiences with us. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. All right. So um, as I normally do, I open up the show by giving my guests a chance to spend about a minute or two. Give us your bio, you know, where you're from, what are you doing, that sort of thing. Fantastic. Thank right. you for having me. Um, I am excited to be here. I've, uh, I feel blessed to have been on this 24-year HR journey, um, which started when I was back in school at USC. Um, I totally stumbled into human resources. Uh, mm -hmm. I was doing my part-time job uh, at the university, and I happened to work in the internship office. And so I would always see the internships come through before we ever posted them. And I happened to see this internship for this little company called Coca-Cola. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. And um, it was in this department called Human Resources. Okay, okay. So here's what I can say now, 24 years later. I had no idea what Human Resources was or what they did. But in my mind, I'm like, ooh, Coca-Cola. That's a good yeah. internship, a good eight-week internship to have on my resume. Done. Applying. I, I not only got the internship, it turned into my new part-time job over the next two years while I was finishing school, and I stayed there for wow. an additional five years. They hired me full-time after I graduated from school. So I quickly learned what human resources really was, and I quickly learned that there's a lot of pieces of it that I really enjoy. 
So I have been blessed. I have gotten to work with great, big, iconic companies, as you talked about, right. like Coca-Cola and Delta and GE and JCPenney, really building my foundation in human resources, um, growing with, with which each, each of those moves, learning a different skill sets with each of these different industries that I was in, and really um, building out not only my knowledge and my skills, but building out a great network of resources, learning what parts of it I love and what parts of it I don't. Um, after spending uh, about seven years with JCPenney in about 2013, I had the opportunity to do something different with my career and um, not work for a big, iconic brand, but go to a slightly smaller company. Now, when I say smaller, it's still 7,000 employees, right? Yeah, but, it's still a good size. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to Nation Star Mortgage, now known as Mr. Cooper. Um, it's a mortgage company. And so this is a very different industry for me. And the size of the company was very different. So I'm going from 150,000 employees to 7,000 employees, which in the HR space, employee count is is as big as revenue, right? Yeah. And so I suddenly was taking on a much broader, bigger role for a smaller company. And I can pinpoint it, looking backwards, that that was a pivotal pivotal really positive move for my career. I spent three years um, there at NationStar. They went through the transformation of Mr. Cooper at mm -hmm. that time. And uh, I got to do something similar again. I got to make another transition into my first chief people officer role. Again, for a smaller company, mm -hmm. it was a restaurant holding company called Good Smoke, um, overseeing two barbecue restaurant brands, Dinosaur Barbecue and Jim and Nick's Barbecue. Um, I was there through an acquisition, um, which was exciting. And at the conclusion of the acquisition, there was no need for the holding company. Um, I then got to go back to one of these very iconic brands and got to be the chief HR officer of Jamba Juice. Right. Um, I spent uh, a, another couple of years at Jamba Juice where, again, we were acquired uh, successfully. And um, from there, I kind of took some time. This was about a year ago. And I said, OK, I'm going to finished up in October mm -hmm. of uh, 2018, excuse me, and said, okay, I'm going to take November and December off, and I'm going to start my job search in January. One thing led to another. I stumbled into some consulting. It was supposed to be something that I just did part-time while I was looking for another job. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and um, it I had an epiphany, right, Ab about two months into it. You know, three days turned into two months and turned into me going, wait a second. I suddenly have um, the ability to help a small company. They, they don't need nor can they afford a full-time CHRO, and yeah. yet I can come in, help them do an assessment, help them figure out what they need, help get them started and going, and leave, and then move yeah. on to the next client. And um, I told myself I was going to give myself a year to, to figure out whether I could make a career of this or not. Mm -hmm. That was last January. It's been a year. All right. And, and I will tell you, it was probably about September of 2019 where I said, I don't need the year. I've got it. I, wow. I feel like I'm there. Congratulations. So, thank That's you. That's so cool. Thank you. So, you know, in my professional life, I feel uh, very blessed to have worked for some great companies and I've had some great mentors. Um, I will tell you that uh, my husband is the king of the side hustle. Um, <laughs> he, he's got a corporate job as well and is, has also left his corporate job and is also doing consulting. So very we cool. left two um, 
two steady careers right. and both, you know, threw everything, you know, in the air and went to consulting at the same time. So that that's been a journey. But it's I say, yeah, I say he's a king of the side hustle because um, we also have some businesses on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, we own the Fuzzy's uh, franchisee, Fuzzy's Taco Shop franchise. Yep franchise down in Dallas. And while I don't do very much on a day-to-day basis, that's really his side mm-hmm. hustle. I understand what it's like to be a small business owner. And the reason why I bring that up is because I've worked for these big, large, iconic companies yeah. and it's built my foundation. I've worked for public and private companies. I've worked for larger and smaller companies and I've owned my business. So I think that gives me a unique perspective with my clients. Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of the clients that I'm targeting, they are small businesses. And so I know how hard it is. When when you're not making a buck, you're using your personal income to fund payroll. I've had to do that. Um, I get it. I get that you're trying to do a lot with a little. And so I think that that's something that's, that's really unique. Um, Absolutely. So that's a little bit about my professional life. Um, you know, in terms of community, community is a really big part of who I am, who my husband is, who our daughter is. Uh, my husband and I met doing volunteer work. And oh, so very it's a, cool. Yeah, so it's a big part of um, who we are and who we raise our daughter to be. Uh, I sit on the board of Plano Symphony Orchestra. I um, also am on the advisory board of Leadership Prep School in Frisco. I help out with... Uh, a local charity called Heart of Autism that's very mm-hmm. near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart. And uh, most recently, I've taken on a role where I am the communications coordinator for the social governance body of my religious community, the Ismaili Muslims. So uh, there's a lot that I do in in my uh, uh, in uh, what I will call the nonprofit space. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's fabulous. It's how I was raised. It's how my husband mm-hmm. was raised. It's the ethic of our faith. And so giving back is a big part of what we do. And, you know, it's it's the way we are raising our daughter. My daughter, Zena, is 10 years old. Um, Being her chauffeur is like my third (laughs) job, by the way. Um, I I also lead her her destination imagination team and her Girl Scout. I'm a leader in her Girl Scout troop and she keeps me on my toes. So that's a little bit about me. Okay, you covered a lot there. <laughs> I think we're going to have some fun talking through this a bit. Sure. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Raj Daniels. He's who introduced us. Yes. He's uh, an extraordinary um, human being. Every time, I, I mean, we've we've gotten coffee. Uh, we initially had a quarterly coffee meeting going. It's fallen off. I need to reach out to him. Yep. But um, I walk out of there just kind of like, man. I need to do more thinking. <laughs> you know, he's always got some little, uh, you know, some great sayings, some great perspectives, and I'm so thankful that he introduced us. I think the same thing. And while I don't get to spend as much time with Raj directly, the way Raj and I know each other mm-hmm. is that our daughters go to school together and they're on the same uh, right, destination yeah. imagination team together. So I get oh, to see his daughter for an hour and a half every Wednesday. And this little girl is yeah. just as insightful as her dad at the age of 10. And she'll say oh, things which will make me go, Incredible. oh, wow, I, I, I need to step up my game. So uh, she takes <laughs> after right. her dad. That's right. That's great. Okay, so now um, one thing I, I noticed when you talk through these different iconic brands you've been at, you've been with them through some really unique transitional periods, right? You mentioned Nation Star going to Mr. Cooper. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And then... Um, you know, before we we went, uh, we started recording. We talked about your time at J.C. Penney, and you know the transition period there with a new leader, and then you know Jamba Juice, the transition, the acquisition. I, I can't imagine what have you not seen and been through. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it's hard to say what I haven't seen. Yeah, but um, you know, I I like. Uh, I'm a little bit of a sadist, right? I like chaos. I yeah. like I like that chaotic environment. But I believe that as human beings, we are always growing and we are mm-hmm. always developing and we are always trying to um, learn more. And each of those experiences taught me a lot, not just about the profession of, of human resources or, or working with people, but it just teaches you a lot about yourself and what what you're willing to go through and not go through. And mm-hmm. so each of those, I mean, I, I, I feel very excited and very humbled that I that I got to go through each of those experiences. But yeah, tra- transformation is, is, is something that I've, I've seen happen before my eyes. And I'm... Yeah. I'm excited to say I was a part of, you know, some of that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I want to dig into, um, the Jamba Juice acquisition, but, you know, before we get there, I'd love to, you know, hit on really the, the JC Penny one in particular for me, I'm a huge Apple fan. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard at the time that Ron Johnson was leaving Apple, mm-hmm. you know, he was head of the retail Correct. stores. He designed the, the retail stores and the retail experience there at Apple. And when I heard he was going to JC Penny, I, I was just kind of that huge fanboy of like, oh man, I can't wait to see what he does. So what, as, as history shows, it he he led a lot of change, almost you know a lot too much change really, mm-hmm. and um, J.C. Penney's had to do a lot of kind of reverting back to uh, what got them uh, to their iconic status. So what was it like there at the ground floor? You know, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I was at J.C. Penney for seven years, so mm-hmm. uh, six years pre. Ron Johnson and my final year while Ron Johnson was there. So I got to see the before and the during and his departure and my departure were within a month of each other. So I didn't oh, get okay. to see a lot of the after. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a lot of friends uh, that work there. I still have a lot of respect for JCPenney. Um, it's it's a great, iconic, uh, 100 plus year brand. Yeah. Um, I think that he came in and he was exciting and mm-hmm. had all this energy and had all these fantastic ideas. And it was very, um, you know, exciting to hear. It was, it, it made made all of us think outside of the box. He brought in a big group of leaders from various places um, that helped us think differently, right? Yeah. And so I thought that that was really neat. I always refer to that period as the most exciting, exhilarating, excruciating, and exhausting. Uh, I yeah. think it was 11, 11 months or so, 11 months of my career. I mean, the highs of the highs of really being able to make, break boundaries mm-hmm. to the lows of the lows, right? Of going, wow, I just stood in front of a room of hundreds of people and laid them off. Wow. Um, and so... I love the experience that I went through. I think it helped me realize who I am and who I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was a lot of change all at once, um, which is why you had all of those emotions. And that's just me as an individual going through it, right? So, Yeah, incredible. Um, And and then switching over to to Jamba Juice. I mean, I've known Jamba Juice, you know, for so long now, incredible product. Um, I always thought, hey, this is an exciting company. And then, um, you know, you went through the acquisition, you know, that, that had to be also quite a transition period. And being the, the you know, chief people officer, that's a unique role to be in for going through something like this. So, you know, walk us through that. What was that experience like? Yeah, that's, um, 
that one, it's probably one of the reasons why I went into consulting because I think that that is my favorite job of all times for many reasons. Great culture, great brand, great team, both both the executive team I got to work with and and my HR team. I mean, amazing team throughout the whole support center. We had mm-hmm. good people. Um, the 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 reality was is that we were a seventy million dollar publicly traded company. It's a bit of an oxymoron, right? We were really yeah. too small to be in the public space, but yet we were in the public space. Um, Dave Pace, who was our CEO, had um, obviously with the board support moved the company to Frisco, Texas. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good move for the company because it took us out of Silicon Valley, which is pretty much where where Jamba Juice was, um, and moved it into a space with a lot of restaurants. DFW is known for being the restaurant headquarters of, there's There's many, many many restaurants that are headquartered here. So therefore you can get great talent that are restaurateurs here, right? So you, you bring, take the company out of a very high cost of living place to do business into a more modest one. You fill it with talent that is, has done things in restaurants and done things, uh, you know, good things for in the restaurant space and you put those two things together and it becomes a really winning scenario. So the company and you know really started turning around becoming a lot more healthy, but the reality was you can't be a 70 million dollar publicly traded company. And so looking at strategic options, right? Was there an opportunity for us to acquire a different brand? Was there an opportunity for us to get acquired by a brand? Mm-hmm. So went through a process um what you know, history will tell you is that yeah. Focus Brands is the one that ended up acquiring us. Uh, Focus is a Rourke company and based out of Atlanta, and they owned at the time six other brands, right? So Auntie Anne's, Carvel Ice Cream, uh, Moe's Southwest Grill. Yeah, great brands. You know, great brands and great brands that Jamba was a good fit for. Yeah. They didn't have something in the smoothie fit space. They had a lot of similarly sized, similarly footprinted um, brands. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly there was a great fit because you could get the whole support center structure that goes across six other brands, Jumba being the seventh. And so it was a good fit because the culture was similar, the values were similar, they had some of the same goals. And so um, they quickly became the front runner and in the end uh, did end up acquiring us. Um, That was a very, um, like I knew it was the right business decision to make. But on a personal level, it was really hard. Like I cared about, there was about 110 people at the support center, about 1,000 corporate employees altogether, Mm -hmm. right? And um, we were asset light metal, so a lot lot of franchisees. So we had a lot of great relationships and great great culture, great communication. And so suddenly we had to stand up in front of the steam of employees and said, this is what we believe is the right thing for our company. And so we're entering into this potential acquisition um, we'll know in six weeks if, if everything goes through, right? Yeah. Um, Focus Brands is here to talk to you. And your first question is going to be, what happens to my job? And the answer is, we don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard, right? Oh, um, definitely. Uh, you know, Focus really wanted to take the time during that period to get to know the company before they made any decisions. Were they going to keep the headquarters in Frisco? Were they going to move it to Atlanta? They wanted to take that six weeks um, and really dive deeper, which I respect, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, at that the conclusion of that six weeks, they did end up, you know, announcing that they they were going to go ahead and close the Frisco office later that year and 
and uh, move to Atlanta. Um, you know, it was a good dialogue between Focus and between uh, the Jamba team, really trying to make sure that our employees were taken care of. Um, advocating for the employees, even though I, you know, once once the acquisition was complete, really, um, I didn't have any say in the matter, right? It is the reality, but that didn't mean that it stopped us from advocating and saying, here are the things that I think our employees really need. Yeah, yes, yes, we need the severance package. And yes, we need some career placement and all of those things that you do in, in situations like that. But one of the things that um, I will commend Dave on what he did is the day that he stood up and announced it. He said, this is a Wednesday, every Wednesday at nine o'clock, we are going to be here and I will be in this room and anyone that wants to talk to me, you know, if we have any announcements, we'll make it. If you have any questions, we'll answer them. Um, If we have nothing to talk about, we'll say good morning to each other and everyone will be on their way. But every Wednesday from now until this acquisition is complete, you have an audience with me. And I think that that was huge. Yeah. Um, It allowed employees to ask anything that they wanted. And no one got penalized, even if the question was, why the hell did you do this to us? Why did you hire me if you were going to? I mean, there were some tough questions that were asked. And um, the reality is, is that he and the rest of the executive team, we stood shoulder to shoulder and said, here's why. Right. And and, and answer those questions genuinely and authentically. And I will tell you that um, I think everyone that landed is in a really good place. There's probably 20 to 30 people that either took a job with Focus um, and, and is either still in Dallas or has moved to Atlanta. Um, and everyone else has really landed in a good spot. It's a great story. It was a great yeah. culture. I'm so sad to have seen it come to an end, and yet I know that it was the right thing to do. Like my heart and my brain kind of, you know, say 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 different right. things. Yeah. No, it sounds like it was, and and you know. I, Given the shows uh, mostly about innovation, um, I think people always jump to thinking innovation is a technology thing, but it certainly can be is a people thing as well. And to me, you know, from when it comes down to people, yeah, there's technology and tools and out, out, things out there to really help facilitate a few things. But I mean, we all want the same things at the end of the day, right? Some stability. We want to feel loved. We want to feel you know, secure uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so um, the steps you talk through there with Jamba and that transition to me, I think really was a, a spark to hitting on those very needs that people are looking for. And the good news is you did that. The bad news is I think it's a rather unique thing that y'all did that. I don't think that's a common thing, right? I won't say that it's common or uncommon. I think every company strives to do well if they have to have any yeah. type of layoff, I'll call it. In mm-hmm. this case, you know, we were getting acquired, but any type of people action. I think I think companies want to do the right thing and they try to do the right thing. And a lot of companies do. And there's a lot of ways to get at it. I think the thing that was really unique wasn't um, the severance or the career placement. I think a lot of people do that. It was taking the time to have open doors and open hearts yeah. and have one-on-one conversations, whether that be in the big group environment or whether that be one-on-one. Um, it, All of us. So whether it was the CEO or the CFO or myself or anybody on the executive team, any leader, um, Doors were open and any conversation was had, whether that yep. was uh, an angry one, a happy one, a 
WTF one, hmm. uh, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. Some of them were very personal. I, I heard, uh, you know, an employee came and told me that they were expecting when they hadn't told anybody yet, going, oh, oh wow. my God, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And I'm sharing this with you, even though I'm not ready to share this because I need to know what's going to happen to my benefits, right? Yeah, and I'm absolutely. like, great, let's talk through that. So just taking a lot of time to have personal one-on-one conversations. Now, we could do that. We had 110 people in our support center. It wasn't, you know, a huge number of people. But I think enabling your leaders to be authentic, preparing them, having the information. And you know what the hardest part was is we didn't have the answers. Yeah. None of the people on the executive team were going to stay on the exec. We all knew that as soon as the deal went through, we were done. Mm-hmm. And so the hard part was is that we didn't have the answers, and yet we had to be there for them and help them get the answers. And so, you know, answering a question like, is my job going to be gone? I didn't have the answer to that. Right. I knew my job would be gone, but for the employee that would be, you know, talking to me, I didn't have the answer to that. But I think being genuine, being authentic, and being available for employees at any time was was helpful. Um, you know, even in larger companies, I've seen these things happen. I think people have the right intentions. Yeah. And they focus around having, you know, the, the, the best career placement package or the best, um, uh, you know, severance package. And those mm-hmm. things are important. They are, Andrew. They, they are. They're livelihood. But, you know, we chose to do things a little differently. So instead of, you know, hiring a company and saying, here's your package, go get your career p- placement, we brought the career placement people in-house and we did some group sessions oh, nice. followed by individual. Mm-hmm. And what that proved to be was a little bit of group therapy too because now all these employees were in it together and they could give each other ideas and they could sit there and go, you know, I'm trying to – you know, put together some of my successes and suddenly they were helping each other like, wait, but you also did X, Y, and Z. You're cutting yourself short. And so it became a little Uh, bit of group therapy, even though it wasn't necessarily intended to be that way. Um, You know, we had great partners in Challenger Gray, but in the end, the reality was is that we created various forums for them to be able to express their frustration, to, to talk about their fears, to work through those issues. Um, and I think yeah. that made all the difference in the world. No, that, that's good to hear. And even before we started recording, we were talking about culture. And you've been across these iconic brands. You've you've been a part of felt to breathe the the very cultures at each of these different companies. And I won't put you on the spot and say which one's a good culture, which one's a bad. Don't don't do that. But what are some key takeaways you know you've experienced when you look back and you're like okay this was a great culture you know what 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 would you say they were doing right I think culture is lived it can't be the posters on the wall right it can't be the poster of the core values it has to be living the core values and celebrating the core values so if your core value is to speak up even if your point of view is a contrarian point of view then you have to celebrate that even when that contrarian point of view is something that you personally don't agree with. Leadership has to celebrate the ability to to do that. So it, it, they have to live it themselves, the leaders. They have to recognize and reward that behavior when they see it. They have to um, see it played out in what they are doing, right? They can't say that these are our values, this is our culture, and then then do something different. Action right. speaks so much louder than words. And so I think I've, I've seen some companies 
put things on walls and say, you know, this is all part of our culture or put something in a handbook or, you know, and all that's part of it, right? I'm not, I'm not um, saying that those, those things shouldn't be done. They should be. But living it is what's going to really, I, I think, helps differentiate and being able to call a spade a spade and, and the executive team should be able to call each other out, right? Privately, hopefully, not publicly, but <laughs> right, say, right. but say, um, you know, when we were together in that meeting with all of us and you said X, Y, Z, I don't think you were living our values or I don't think you were setting the right example or I think you came across rough and you isolated so-and-so. And if, if they can't have that dialogue with each other, then they're not going to be having it with their employees and their employees right. aren't going to be having it with them. And then that culture isn't going to be transparent. That's a great point. And re- relating to the core values, a lot of it has to do with hiring people that fit those core values that are already living those, right? And then determining what do you do with those that are currently here that perhaps aren't living the core values, right? What what have you seen some of these companies do or what have you done uh, to maybe perhaps lead uh, some, some type of transformation and culture or even just upholding a strong culture that you've already been a part of? You know, core values are, are important and um I think there's always going to be, right? I mean, such as human nature, there's always going to be some people that uh, perhaps don't fit it or have evolved or, or right. whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, first of all, I just think that when you're going through your hiring process, that needs to be somehow a part of it, whether you're calling it core values or whether you're talking you know, blatantly about the culture. When I was hiring people at JCPenney during that, during that year, I would tell them. I would. I would use those same four words. I would say this is the most exciting, exciting, exhilarating, excruciating, and exhausting period yeah. of my life. You know, and I would say that to them. And I would say there are so many highs, and there's there's a lot of tough things that are going on here right. at the same time. Do you have the resilience for the, this place? Right. I mean, I, I think I am breaking boundaries in who I am as a professional, and I'm also breaking boundaries as who who I am as a human. Some right. of those are positive and some of those are negative. And so I would say that during an interview, right, with a potential candidate that I really wanted to come work for us. Because if they're self-selecting out, then they would have anyway, right? And so yeah. I, I think it's important to talk about that right at the beginning. But inevitably, there's always going to be somebody at a company that either either evolves or never fit to begin with, right, and, right. and doesn't fit. Um, I, I think, again, that's, that's about courageous leadership, is someone having that conversation? Is is it being tolerated? Is it just being accepted? Right. Is is a bully allowed to be be a bully, or or is is are they being called out either by their peers or their boss, or or in some some way through an engagement survey, whatever it is? And then what happens mm-hmm. if they are called out, or if they are being held accountable? What's the action? Because again, words are words. Yeah, the accountability, right? The accountability. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is one that's pretty common to hear nowadays, but Zappos, right? They they live, breathe, die by their core values. And I was fortunate enough to visit um, Zappos and do a three-day culture camp, which I highly advise everybody to do. But um, as perhaps everyone knows, they have this process where when they hire in a group of people, they give them basically like a trial period. And at the end of that, they say, look, um, we will pay you to leave like if they if they notice this person's not a fit they'll pay them and say hey thank you so much but you know good luck 
Um, and they'll even give that person the option to say, hey, do you think you're going to fit into this? And if not, then yeah, they'll, they'll take the payment and, and go. I think that's a rather unique uh, proposition. I, I don't know of any other companies. I heard Amazon was starting to do that, and they, you know, they own Zappos, so I think mm-hmm. it's starting to trickle up there. But ha- have you come across any any others doing something similar? You know, I think it's uh, very innovative, and I think yeah. it's bright for them to do. When you stop and you actually calculate a cost of turnover, um, you know, I did this recently for one of my clients, and um, while they knew their turnover numbers. It was just just a number, right? right? And I'm like, do you know how much it costs you every time one of those people leave? And I sat and uh, took a little time and went through the calculation. Um, I calculated it, and then when I gave them the number, every time, every time, it doesn't matter the industry, CEO sitting sitting across from me going, that's not right. Where'd you get that number? This can't be right. Wow. Okay, let me walk you through how I got it. Yeah. Right? And um, once you go through it, and they realize that the inputs into this calculation are things like, you know, the cost of recruiting somebody new, the cost of the vacancy, the the stress it puts on the people that are in the role that are covering for the role, right? When you the training costs, the recruiting costs. Mm-hmm. When you put all of that together, and you, you sit and you go, okay, this is how I came up with it, and I used your people to to pull numbers for me, and and you know, this is how I came up with it. All of a sudden, you're talking to them in bottom line numbers and cents. Right. And so suddenly they're like, wait a second, we got to reduce our turnover, right? Which is what the HR <laughs> person was saying. Yeah, yeah. Now it's a problem. Um, but so I think Zappos, their approach is very unique because they are trying to shorten that amount, right? They're, they're, they're trying to, 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 to shorten that period of time and the, the period of pain if they don't think, think someone is going to fit. Right. So I think it is unique because at the end of the day, the company's going to pay it anyway. Yeah, it's just a matter point. of when are you going to pay it and how, how much is that payment going to grow by? I wonder how much money they've saved by doing that, right? That could be it's, Kind of back to your point yeah, on the turnover costs. Yeah. And okay, this person probably would have left anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk about what you're doing today. Yeah. So I'm excited. Uh, for about a year now, I've been doing this uh, executive HR consulting. Um, I have been able to, just through my network, um, get uh, a variety of clients. They're all small to mid-sized businesses that um, don't need, nor can they afford a full-time CHRO. So mm-hmm. it's been great because in multiple cases, I've been able to go in and say, okay, let's Let's look at your company and what are your objectives? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to grow your company? Are you trying to sell your company? Are you trying like what? What's the business need that you're trying to solve for? And from there, saying okay, what's the people ramification on that? Okay, you're trying to grow. Well, guess what? You need more people, and and you need them faster, and you need less turnover, or whatever the case may be, right? right. And so we 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 start with the business need, figure out what the people plan is after, and then you know I'll do I'll do an assessment for about a week, you know, talking to various stakeholders looking at data, looking at processes, looking at systems, and kind of leave them with an executive summary. Um, in three of those four cases, you know, they've hired me on to say, great, we really like this. Um, and, and often, you know, it's either hire an HR person if they're really small and don't have one, or upgrade your HR person because you've grown and you now need an executive HR person, right? right? Or whatever. So helping them to hire that person, helping them to select that person, as well as getting that that plan started of, of, of whatever the needs are for that particular company. So in some cases, they've been around talent acquisition. Um, 
and reducing turnover. In other cases, they've been more around process and procedure and policy and handbooks, things like that. In other cases, it's been a lot more about benefit strategy, right? The company was spending a lot of money on on benefits that the employees weren't appreciating. So how do we revamp it? How do we how do we do something where the company is really getting credit for everything that it's doing? Um, uh, one client that I have now, their 401k match is dollar for dollar up to 6%. It's the best I've ever heard of. Um, yeah. and, and their take rate on it was less than 3%. What? Yeah, because they never took the time to tell employees about it. Oh, my it, goodness. Right? And yeah. so um, whether it's, you know, just campaigns, um, you know, we ended up doing a total reward statement for them at the end of 2019 and saying, let's tell employees um, not only, you know, people think about their base salary and go, that, that's my salary, but helping them understand how much the company contributes to all these other line items, right? right. And, and looking at that and also saying, hey, by the way, you know, it was a little advertising campaign mm-hmm. too. By the way, if you were participating in the 401k, you'd also get, you know, and, right. and suddenly you're seeing the take rate go up on that. And, you know, just some innovative ways to get more mileage out of what they were already doing, right. you know, and not getting the credit for and now have they brought that to their attention? Are people picking it up more? Yeah, yeah, we just we just finished uh, creating the statements. They were for 2019, yeah. so since the fiscal year just ended, and so they're just being rolled out now. Got it. Now, related to 401ks, let me pick your brain on Uh-oh. this one. <laughs> okay. I feel I've seen a couple of different companies use it as like an incentivizer. You know, hey, instead of putting money into your bonus, we're going to put it into a 401k. I, I don't know enough to say whether that's a good incentivizer or not, but what have you seen anything like that out there? Not particularly that. I yeah. I've been part of companies that have four hundred one Ks and I've been a part of companies that don't. Yeah. Um you know, one company I will tell you we had a four oh one K and the match was so bad that I'm not even gonna oh, I, I can't even say which company. Yeah, so it's a bit insulting. Was, yeah, yeah, it was a bit low, insulting, yeah, because yeah, wow. it was so low. However, the bonus structure was was solid, and so you know you you look at various you know components of pay, but um, I haven't seen it being used in lieu of a bonus program. I think that's something something unique. Um, I I have a hard time with that because in one way it's very positive because you're deferring taxes, and hopefully by the time you pay the taxes, right, oh, right you're in a yeah. lower tax bracket, right, by by putting it in their four hundred one k. But in another way, you're not giving the employee the choice. Right. Uh, if you if you give them the bonus, yes, it's taxed higher at a higher rate right now, but it's their money and they can choose what to do with it when. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good so, point. A little more flexibility. Yeah, there. a little more flexibility. So, again, I think the motivations behind why the root cause of why are you, why are you doing this? If you're doing it, can you give the employee the option? Mm-hmm. You know, you get the same amount of money. You either get in a bonus or you get in a four. You know, you can do things in different ways, but helping the employees have some choice is also something I really advocate for. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, now that you hit on a couple of things I had not considered before, so that's good to hear. Appreciate that. Um, in terms of, you mentioned some of these client challenges they're facing. You know, what have you seen as just kind of like a, a, I don't know if it's a common trend, or what are some of the biggest challenges you think the, that your client base is facing today? I think it, we've all heard heard it right i mean unemployment is at an all-time low yeah the boomers are retiring there's less people in the workforce yeah i can only take over so much right right? as as you would you would uh you know talk about um so i think there's a war on talent 
right? I, I think absolutely, it is yeah. absolutely an employee's market. Uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting to me coming from the restaurant industry and owning restaurants, right? While these might be um, minimum wage jobs, for for example, at a dishwasher job, right? Whether it be in my restaurant or in, in some of the restaurants I've been associated with, the number of people that you will say uh, come in for an interview so we can talk to you and the number of people that just won't show up. Interesting. Is astounding. And it depends, you know, based off of, you know, w- which company you're talking about and all that. But it's astounding because they have so much choice. Yep. They can say, well, I know that they're paying minimum wage, but they're paying a quarter over minimum wage and it's for the same job or it's for it, it is absolutely an employee's market when it comes to um, jobs right now. And so I, I would say that's the common denominator out of uh, I've had seven clients in 2019 and out of the seven, that's probably the biggest common denominator is the war on yep. talent um, in, in one one shape or form. No, that, that's good. So personally speaking for Louderco, you know, as I'm growing it out, I've got job posts out there and I have people applying and you know, I reach out and say, hey, we, we want to interview you. We, we're interested in the, uh, hey, I'm interested too. And so I must take this assumption that, hey, you applied for this job, you're interested and you want it, but there's certainly a couple of different camps that happen somewhat naturally. There's certainly some that are, are excited, anxious, taking all the right steps. You know, they're they're confirming appointments, they're following up with thank yous, and they're excited. And then there's others that are just ghosting. <laughs> are you seeing that? Is yes. that kind of what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Oh, geez. Just yesterday, I had three um, candidates set up for for phone interview for a position that I'm helping a current client fill. And um, the one that I was most excited about, the one with the best resume, the best background, yeah. we do some uh, pre-employment uh, assessments and things like that. And so highest assessment scores, um, the one I was most no showed on her phone screen. Wow. And here I am going... Can you talk tomorrow? Did we did we miss it? Did I get yeah. the time wrong? And and no, nothing. Silence. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I I've been through that too. And I'm like, okay, well, now am I am I falling into that trap of like trying to beg somebody to work? And, and it's just such a weird environment we live in. And yeah, I know so many companies are facing it, and I think it's also what because of that you're seeing wages go up mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so now perhaps you're paying more for less quality talent and it's just this trickle down effect that I think is impacting so many businesses right now. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the reasons why I get very focused on hiring the right people from the get go. Yeah. And in making sure they're engaged so that you can ultimately retain them if they are producing well and they're the right employee, right? Because what, and you've, you've heard many people say this, right? Compensation is, is like I think the number three or number four reason why people leave, right? It's, it's yeah. never the number one reason. And so if you've got the number one, two, and three reasons all taken care of and it's a great culture and it's a great environment, they enjoy what they're doing and they feel valued, then they're never going to get to that fourth reason. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So in terms of the things that you offer your clients aside from just your – amazing background, you know, your specialization. What do you, you mentioned an assessment. What are some of the other things you're doing? You know, it depends on the client's needs. And so as we come in and do this assessment, um, 
figuring out what it is that that they want to accomplish. So I was I was talking about my my current client and and how we just created these total reward statements. Mm -hmm. This is something they mentioned, um, not in those words, but you know mentioned we do all these things and I feel like people are leaving anyway. Well, it was the pro a process of discovery to realize you know you're doing those things. No one else knows that you're even offering them, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it was a little bit of a marketing campaign as well, you know, during the open enrollment period and things like that. Um, serving employees, what's important to you? What do you What do you want? And, and redesigning their benefits program. So asking, you know, making a production of, of the ask and then making a production of you asked and so we're delivering, right? And so that's that was a little bit unique. Um, I think that... The offering, you know, because we're small and nimble, right, yeah. um, can be different, right? Uh, I, you talk about innovation, and so one of the things that um, I have, I've, I've enjoyed doing this year is exploring these different relationships. Um, you know, I have a partner in crime that I'm partnering with on a separate project, right? He's he's a diversity, engagement, and inclusion speaker, and uh, I do human resources. And um, this is my friend James Pogue, and you yeah. know he he owns JP Enterprises, and you know it's funny because he started bringing up going. I, I think our skill sets, you know, align. They they, they fit each other. They they complement each other. And so we got to partner on a client this year, and um, you know I think that's innovation as well. And so I think yeah. the answer to your question of you know what services you know do you offer? Yes, an HR assessment and a variety of different things that we can do, but. Uh, it's hard for me to come up with a list because the reality is, is I'm a very self-aware person. Right. I, I've told two clients this year that have asked for something that wasn't my strength. And I yeah. told them that you don't want me. Let me let me refer you to a couple other people. But there's a lot of things where, where I'll say, you know, I've never done a total reward statement. I, I've seen them done. But, you know, it was when I was working for a larger company and, and we had a compensation department that did it. But guess what? we can figure out how to do it, right? Yep. And so we come up with the solution for them. And so, um, you know, I think I think that's part of being a small and involved business. Yeah, so much value there. People, the, the people part of the business, I mean, we hear the cliche, it's the most important asset, yet it still gets so overlooked. And when you're trying to change that bottom line, oftentimes you've got to start there. Yeah. That's wonderful. So the one thing I caught in your opener as well was your community your love for the community, things you're doing in the community. I want to talk more about that yeah, too. So I'd love to. You mentioned the Plano Symphony Orchestra, Heart of Autism. Um, am I missing? You mentioned your, your um, what you're doing at the religious community as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. But how did you get involved with these? Why these organizations, and and what are you doing with them? So um, a little bit of everything. Um, so Plano Symphony Orchestra. Um, I was having a networking lunch and, and, and somebody that I had, you know, spent some time with and worked with in my professional life, we happened to be talking and I think I was mentioning Zena and how she plays piano and ukulele and sings and acts and, you know, is in, in, it loves doing performing arts. And she's like, you know, I sit on the board of Plano Symphony Orchestra and this is what we're trying to do. And, you know, she talked a little bit about the mission of what they're trying to do and what I didn't know. I, I honestly didn't even know Plano had a symphony orchestra. Um, but when the, she talked about what they are trying to do for the community, for underprivileged kids that perhaps wouldn't have ac access to music education. So it's not just selling tickets to people that can afford it. It's a lot of what they were doing to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. And then when there was an opportunity to um, join the board, you know, it, it resonated with me. And so um, 
you know, I've it's been about a year now since I've I've been on their board. Um, in terms of Heart of Autism, that is a local charity that um, was started by two lovely ladies here locally, and um, it's a grassroots organization. The thing that really resonates uh, for me with this particular organization is this group of grassroots volunteers um, puts on a a couple fundraisers during the year, one big gala, and uh, raises, you know, sets a goal and raises a, a great number of dollars. And all of that money goes straight back into the local DFW community and really helps families that don't otherwise have the resources to help um, their autistic children with uh, a variety of different therapies. And so it's very practical. It's very real. It's not a high administrative cost. I really look at that when I look at nonprofits right, that yeah. I like to volunteer with because um, when they're paying a lot of overhead costs out of the monies that they raise, right, that, that's a bit of a detractor for me. Um, that was one of the most attractive things. It's, it's very real. It's very um, touching. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with them in 2019 helping them get ready for their gala. So it's been, it's been fun. Um, the work I do with the Aga Khan Council for the Ismaili Muslim community, um, I call it my my unpaid full-time job. Um, I'm the communications coordinator for the Central Region, and so uh, we do a lot of uh, outreach events um, with, with other governmental, non-governmental agencies, uh, academia, arts and culture, um, to really help contribute to civil society. So when mm -hmm. I talk to, you know, communities are really part, a big part of who I am and what I do. It's because I've been raised in this community. Yeah. Um, we've always been encouraged to um, live our faith. Living our faith is, is not just doing for yourself and for your family. It's doing for others. So whether it be um, the tre tremendous hours of volunteer work that the community does or just the sense of giving back, it's, it's how I was raised, it's how I raised my daughter, and it's because I was raised in this community. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, I, I love talking the community side of things. I think it's a, a window into some of the different things people care about. And you know, I've always believed utilizing our, our skill set, our talents to helping these nonprofits can go such a long way. You know, it's it's not just about spending the, the half a day or a day doing, I don't know, a clothing drive. Yes, those things are important. But to be able to just utilize your talents to increase the capacity to do good at these other organizations, I think, is is absolutely vital. Something I live by as well. But uh, how about we enter the lightning round? Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> um, we usually, I mean, we, these these usually uh, could be some quicker answers, yeah. or we can go a little deeper into certain yeah. things. But uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. So, um, what do you wish you had known when you started your career? Don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, I think I cared too much about you know people that didn't like me. I cared too much about um, feedback that I got that w whether it was good or not, or I took it too seriously. I, I as you grow in your career, you realize um, you know it's about the bigger picture. Feedback is great, and and yeah. you know you need to take it, learn from it, move on from it. I love it. That's good. Sometimes I think I still sweat the small stuff a little too much. <laughs> um, who or what would you say has influenced you the most? Oh, my gosh. I have so many mentors in my life that yeah. I could list, and I'd be afraid to list them because I, I would inevitably leave one out. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of lot of people and places that influence. I will tell you one of my biggest influencers is actually my 10-year-old daughter. When I say don't sweat the small stuff, it's – 
uh, I'll tell you one quick story. So yeah. she was she was born um, super duper early, and I know that uh, your wife is expecting. So yes, not not trying yes. to not trying to scare <laughs> you, but she was born three months early. So she's always been in a hurry in her life, including yeah. you know how she entered the world. <laughs> and um, so she was in the NICU for the first five months of her life. And so I had a weird maternity leave. I went out on maternity leave, and then I came back two months later while she was still in the hospital, and I oh, saved wow. a month so that I could when she actually came home from the hospital. So in that period that I was back at JCPenney, by the way, JCPenney was an awesome company and rallied around me when I was this weird employee that was in and out and in and out. And so they they were wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, But during that period that I was back, you know, I remember being sitting in a business meeting and someone was like, oh, can you believe this department did this to us or they expect this turnaround or they, you know, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. It was something that, you know, everyone was up in arms over. And um, I was like, okay, well, no, we need to move. And, you know, we just need to deal with it. And they're like, why aren't you pissed off? You would normally be pissed <laughs> off about this. Why aren't you pissed off? I'm like, because yeah. you know what? It just means that we're having a bad day. At the end of the day, what does JCPenney do? We sell socks and underwear. So we're going to sell less socks and underwear today. That That's the reality. When one of those nurses that are taking care of my daughter oh, have man. a bad day, they've lost a baby that day. Yeah, Perspective. Yeah. Perspective is what um, she teaches me every day. So from the Amazing. time she was born to now, it's all about perspective. And now I try to reiterate that back to her when she's stressing out over a spelling test. But yeah. um, I, I think she grounds me. And so that's why I say that she influences me. That's so beautiful. I, I wish there were little things. Um, just I don't, I don't need a big life scare. But just if my iPhone could remind me every now and then, hey, have a little perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't sweat the small mm-hmm. stuff. These little tips, I think, would be highly valuable. Would you actually read them and internalize them, though? If it was a tip that came through on your iPhone? If it were maybe every other week or something, probably. (laughs) But if it were every day, I'd be like, okay, shut up. I'm sure somebody will make an app for that. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Life-changing ideas floating around here. Okay. um, Are you learning anything in particular right now? Um, I feel like I'm constantly learning. Um, My daughter was trying to explain to me the other day what a visco is. I I still can't figure, figure that out exactly. So... I'm, I'm I'm trying to learn is is what okay, I would Google say. This one. <laughs> okay, so um, are you reading any books right now? Uh, yeah, I, there's. I'm always reading a, a variety of books. Um, some just for fun, some for um, you know professional learning. Currently, um, I'm reading How to Raise an Adult. Okay. Um, again, you know. I think the most important thing I'll ever do in this life is to hopefully raise a kind, generous, um, oh, compassionate yeah. young lady, and so. Any help I can get along the way is welcome. Definitely. I'm going to have to check that one out. Any podcasts or anything you're listening to right now? Uh, there's one that got recommended to me that I'm just about to start yeah. um, that I'm excited about just just through my friend that was telling me about it. It's Ed Milet. So hmm. I haven't started it yet, so I can't speak too much of it, but yeah. that, that's going to be my next one. All right. Next time we talk, I'll check, I'll okay. check up on okay. it, see how you're doing. Are you a morning person or night person? Actually, I'm a morning person, and anyone that knew me before I had my kid would would be shocked at <laughs> that. Um, it it transformed yeah. after I had a kid. That's interesting. I've heard some people on the show say they're both. <laughs> they're just no. I don't know how Mm-mm. how you could do that. Uh, what about any routines you've set for yourself? You know, life hacks, anything? You know, I really um, I'm the queen of multitasking, and so. Mm-hmm. I, with my new consulting business, I feel like I'm always in the car, whether I'm going to a client or doing nonprofit work or a prospective client or whatever the case is. So I'm in the car a lot. 
And so I, my car time is super productive, whether I'm taking phone calls, whether I'm listening to, like I try to listen to some um, NPR every morning just to get caught up on local mm-hmm. and national politics, um, whether it's listening to an Audible book, whether, you know, I, my car time yeah. is super productive time. No, that's, that's good to hear. What about introversion or extroversion? Where do you fall there? You know, it's a hard question because my husband is the uber extrovert. And so yeah. comparatively, I, I look like the introvert. I think at the end of the day, you know, the definition comes down to where do you get your energy from? And yeah. I do get my energy from other people, right? I, so I am an extrovert, but I, I appreciate my downtime and I appreciate yes. my quiet time. And I'm it. with you there. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. What do you look forward to the most each weekend? You know, my weekends are slammed. They are not um, quiet and relaxing. Um, just between my my nonprofit work and chauffeuring Zena around to mm-hmm. her a million events. Um, but I really just look forward to. There's always inevitably some time in there that we're spending time together as a family, either with other families or just doing something fun. And so I, you know, just just that quality family time. That's great. So Humera, you have successfully made it through the lightning round. Woo-hoo. Congratulations! Thank you. Do I win a prize? Uh, I, not this time. Okay. Maybe another time. No problem. But uh, okay. So what's what's it, how does a customer get a hold of you? Somebody that wants to talk to you about their their people. Um, I would love to uh, chat with you. You can email me at humera at casimconsulting dot com. That's H U M E R A at K A S S E M Consulting dot com. That's awesome. Humera, I can't thank you enough for spending your time here today, imparting your wisdom with us here. And um, I, I, I'm, you're going to have to come back soon, and we'll keep talking. Sounds great, Andrew. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So thank you all for listening to the Louder Code Dallas-based Innovators podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again, and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.